We are in this series called What Not to Wear. It's a study of Colossians chapter 3. It's written to those who have been made alive in Christ. Uh, The apostle writing says, uh, those who have received Christ Jesus as Lord. That's who this is for. And uh, based on that new life, that new identity in Christ, there are things that we should no longer put on, things that we should no longer wear. Not bad clothes, but bad conduct. Uh, Not wrong styles, but wrong words, wrong feelings, wrong attitudes. So in part one, we looked at the first ten verses of Colossians uh, chapter 3, and we saw a couple of lists there of things that we need to take off as the people of God uh, and to get rid of what you no longer are. Part two dealt with the next two verses that were virtues that we should put on, the new clothes that we should wear uh, when we are in Christ, so that when life fractures you, life breaks you, what spills out should match who you really are. Part three, called Grateful by Design. As we finish this series today, the theme is gratitude. Uh, That theme appears in each of the three verses, verses 15, 16, and 17, that we look at here in our text today. A form of the word uh, eucharisto, the Greek word for gratitude, thanksgiving, uh, is used in each of those verses, calling us as the people of God to thankfulness. Uh, Thankfulness is an important part of the wardrobe of God's people. But gratitude isn't just going to happen. You have to intend. You have to determine. You have to remember uh, to do it. You have to design it into your life. Now, in today's world, where you often go looking for answers is to do a Google search. Uh, So if something's not working or something needs to be fixed, uh, you search the internet for an answer. There's a meme that's been going around for years, probably six or seven years, about a Google search that says, Help, I accidentally built a shelf. So if you type, Help, I accidentally, it's going to... Fill that out of accidentally built a shelf. Uh, Now, um, that's humorous simply because you don't accidentally build anything. It doesn't just happen. You have to intend to build. It takes intentionality. So does gratitude. So does gratitude. Gratitude takes intentionality. Um, Becoming a grateful person, by the way, does not make you a Christian. Let me verify that. Only turning from your sin to Jesus alone saves you. Thankfulness can't wash away your sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. But those who have been made alive in Christ uh, must strip off the rags of ingratitude and clothe themselves with thanksgiving. Because of all the people on the planet, Christians should be the most grateful. Now, being a thankful person is good advice for anyone and everyone, but for God's people, it's a priority. And it must, by the way, be a specific kind of gratitude. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, So today we're going to see how to be grateful by design. From this text we'll find three questions to help you cultivate a thankful heart. Uh, Answering these questions will lead us to a vital principle about gratitude, especially for when you don't feel thankful or grateful. So how do I cultivate a thankful heart? Here's the first question to ask yourself according to this text. Am I ruled by Christ's peace? 
Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. So the word that Paul uses that's translated rule, broboeo in the Greek, is a word that refers to umpiring or being an arbitrator. Uh, so it's calling us to let the peace of Christ make the call in your life. Make the decision in your life. How does that work? Well, of course, as the people of God, He has given us His Word. It's His revelation to us, the Bible, and we orient our lives by that truth. But there are some things, in fact, there are many things that the Bible does not specifically address. So, for example, the uh, Bible calls us to, to be productive, to work, to uh, hold down a job. If you can't do that, then, then you're, you're not... Uh, uh, if you're not working, then you shouldn't eat, says First Thessalonians. But um, do I take this job or that job? Do I go into this career or that career? The Bible doesn't tell you. Uh, the Bible won't give you that direction. Uh, so do I attend this college or that college or any college at all? Trade school, whatever. Do I join this group or that group? The Bible doesn't answer that. Uh, which house do I buy? Uh, this one or that one? Or can I buy a house? Should I buy a house? Should I rent an apartment? Which apartment? This and that one. The uh, Bible doesn't tell you those specifics. So when faced with a decision that the Bible does not clearly speak about, you still have guidance. Allow Christ's peace to be the umpire. So by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, as a child of God, He can give you a sense of rest and contentment about which way to go. Now, seeing this used wrongly, for instance, a guy who told me some time ago, I have peace about leaving my wife for this other woman. Well, you can't have peace about something that violates Scripture. You're deceived. But that sense of peace, if you notice that verse, uh, should govern our relationships. That we are part of a body. We're, we're part of the, the community of faith in Jesus. And so my actions and my attitudes and reactions and decisions should promote peace among the people of God. And I need to test my sense of peace about direction uh, with my community of believers. If you're the only one that has peace about a decision, be concerned. Because we're not always going to agree, but if you stand in a, alone in a decision, you at the very least need to, to slow down. Uh, so about 15 years ago, uh, uh, my wife and I made what, what was a very important and very uh, big decision. And uh, we, after some time of prayer and counseling with others, we agreed that this was the way to go. Well, I would confess to you that the day before that, that decision was to be finalized, I, was in, I, I don't get anxious very often, but I was filled with anxiety. And so in that, that moment of kind of panic, as I, 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 I called uh, the lawyer who was involved in this deal, who was a, a great friend and a great brother in Christ, uh, and, and I said, Don, you've got to talk me down off the ledge. I you know, I know that we're going to do this thing tomorrow, but now I don't, all of a sudden I don't have any peace about it. Well, he began to talk it through with me and how the, how the Lord had been uh, speaking to us in this situation and, and uh, began to confirm again that this was the right. And he said, John, you, you don't have any idea. The people who know that this thing is going to happen, uh, you've already been a testimony of faith in Christ to, the, to a larger group of people. And it was just through that that the peace of Christ returned into my life as he confirmed that. And that went through. And I would tell you there's not a day that goes by in these last 15 years where I don't look back on that decision and give 
give thanks to God for what he did. That was the peace of God ruling in my life. And if you've been ruled by Christ's peace, if you've allowed him to be the umpire of your choice, then the end result is something for which you can give thanks. Don't just resign yourself to, well, it happened. It is what it is. That's how it turned out. No, you're able to be thankful. You know the peace of Christ in every situation. And you can say, thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, the, the verb for being thankful here, by the way, uh, implies that gratitude is a habit that can be acquired. You can learn to be grateful. But when I've allowed the peace of God to umpire my decisions and my reactions and my relationships, then I can give thanks for the results. Am I ruled by Christ's peace? If so, then whatever the outcome, I can be thankful. Here's the second question. second question is, am I making room for God's Word? Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. So what does it mean to have the word dwell in you? Uh, the Greek word there is anoikeo, which means to live in, to have space in. In other words, to give the word room in your life, to let it live and remain in you, and to do it richly. That is with abundance. Now, we require, as the people of God, infusions of God's truth. We need that truth, the truth of Scripture, to wash over us, to, uh, to soak in that truth. Because the Word of God is the tool that He uses to shape us to become more like Jesus. You want to become more like Jesus? It, it, invest yourself in His Word. He will use that Word to shape you. Uh, so, how, and, and that Word, it, it reminds us of everything God's done for us. So, so how do I make abundant room for God's Word? By, by the way, this isn't just about quantity. This is about quality. Now, those of you who are not giving enough time for God's Word, that's, you know the issue there. But for some of you, some of you have multiple, multiple, multiple inputs of the Word of God into your life during the week. So you hear this sermon on this text right now, and you might then now go to a, 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 a class and hear a lesson on another text text or teach a lesson on another text. You'll have devotions on another passage of Scripture. Uh, you'll, you'll have a, a, a verse come up on your phone every morning. You might, might attend a Bible study uh, in, the, in the middle of the week on yet another passage of Scripture. And the problem with that is that you have so much input that you don't leave time for that to sink in and, and leave time for you to apply it in your life. And that's a danger. And that's why I, I think it's so good for us to focus more on the same thing. And in January and February, I'll preach on the I am statements of Jesus in, in uh, John's Gospel. And you'll have an opportunity to be part of a small group that will study those exact same statements on those exact same weeks. And so we'll all be focusing on the same truths at the same time. And this is one way that will allow the Word to dwell in us richly. So making room for God's Word means I take time to consider it, I discuss its implications. I rehearse what it's, what's true with others. I work at, at putting it into practice. Now, according to this verse, another way that we make room for the Word of God is through music. Through music. Specifically, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, is this a strict classification of three types of music and, and we must have each of these in every certain? No, no, that's probably not. But I can give you a definition of what each of these likely is. 
Psalms are the Old Testament songs uh, set to music. Um, and, and we have an entire book of Psalms, but there are other Old Testament songs as well. Uh, hymns probably refers to several New Testament pieces, such as Luke chapter 1, there's a song in there. John chapter 1, there's a song there. Revelation chapter 5, and a multiple other times in the New Testament there are songs that we can put to music. Spiritual songs may be ones that are not directly from Scripture, but are written to glorify God. And these terms are an example of the great variety of Christian music, songs directly from Scripture or consistent with Scripture. And, and let me just affirm that there are bad songs in every generation. Every generation has bad songs, as well as good ones. Uh, so uh, that's because they reflect the tendencies, good and bad, of the era in which they were written. And so, for example, there are a few uh, well-known and beloved hymns, and I'm not going to name them, that, that are from the late 19th and early 20th century that drip with sentimentality, and some which have kind of fuzzy theology in places. But I can still sing those beloved hymns with, with thanksgiving when I focus on what truth they do contain, regardless of the style. And certainly there are many bad songs written today. We try to stay away from those. But whatever song you sing, sing it with gratitude in your heart to God. Whatever type of psalm or hymn or song you're singing, if it's not expressed with thanks and praise, it is a fail. There is no place for weak or passionless singing. And I would say the Bible church movement is not, they're not really good. Name some well-known songs written from the Bible church movement. Not too many at all. We're, we're not good at the music thing for whatever reason. And not known for our passionate singing. We're known for our passionate Bible teaching. And, and, but that's, that's in violation of, of, uh, of this verse and others as well. Uh, those of us who have received the grace of God must respond with praise. And so asking that question, am I making room for God's word by letting it dwell in my life through instruction, through music, through sharing with others? That, that will inform and inspire my gratitude. Third question, am I operating in Jesus' name? Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So whether you're talking or walking, uh, relaxing or working, do that in the name of Jesus. That's the operating principle for the people of God in their speech, their actions, their decisions. Uh, can I do this in Jesus' name? Uh, as William Barclay says, one of the best tests of any word is to say, can I speak that and in the same breath name the name of Jesus? So here's a difference between Christians and everyone or anyone else. As a Christian, you can be thankful for all the outcomes of life. You can always give thanks if it is through Jesus. Uh, you might have a, a tradition, as many people do, of going around the table, particularly at Thanksgiving, and asking, everybody name something you're, you're grateful for. And uh, if the family's big enough, there's going to be some things that you wish they didn't say. But uh, so uh, you got, uh, maybe your 11-year-old daughter looks up from texting and says, well, I'm thankful for my friends. And your 14-year-old son says, well, I'm thankful for Call of Duty. It's my favorite game. And your wife says, well, I'm thankful for my wonderful family. And your crazy uncle says, I'm thankful for single women and single malt scotch. And your grandmother says, well, uh, she gives a look of disapproval to uncle and she says I'm thankful for my church family well that's not gratitude by design uh, that's not what it looks like it's not enough for me to just be thankful for this I'm thankful to God for this in Jesus name so I'm not simply thankful for you 
in Jesus' name, I thank God for you. Every one of us should probably express thanks more often than we do. I certainly should. But it's the privilege and responsibility of God's people to give thanks through Jesus. Now, my wife does about 100% of the cooking in our house, and I am always grateful. Uh, But if I stop at thanking her, if my gaze does not go beyond her, I'm not operating in Jesus' name. If I am in a tough spot and my small group steps in to help me out and brings me meals and gives me encouragement and I stop at thanking them, I'm not operating in Jesus' name. If I get a fantastic gift at Christmas and I stop at thanking the giver, I'm not operating in Jesus' name. And somebody say, well, Jesus didn't give me that. Uh, Well, then this probably doesn't include you if that's how you understand it. Because every one of you, though, who knows that God has loved you with an everlasting love, that he has reached out to you in sending his son, has released you from the bondage of sin and death by the sacrifice of the perfect Jesus on the cross and his glorious resurrection from the grave, if if that is who you are, then you you know what is true. You know that everything you have, every good gift you receive is from your heavenly Father. And, and you know it's only through Jesus that you can enjoy whatever that is. And you know it's because of Jesus that every relationship, every experience, every possession has meaning. Therefore, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And by the way, that includes prayer. Let me give you a little hobby of mine. I just do not understand how anyone calling themselves a Christian will not pray in Jesus' name. I don't get that. It doesn't make sense to me. I've I've, uh, called out numbers of people in my life, some of them I dearly love and know well, and, and they don't get that. Uh, I'd say it's the only biblical way to pray, to speak to God and just at all, and then just stop praying or to say amen as if amen is the deal, uh, does not qualify as Christian prayer. It's only because of Jesus that you or I have any right to come before God and ask him anything or say anything to him. And, And that's what this verse would speak to as well. So in order to cultivate a thankful heart, these are the questions to ask yourself. Am I ruled by Christ's peace? Am I making room for God's word? Am I operating in Jesus' name? Now, last week I, I read an article called uh, The Best Thing You Can Do Is Not Buy More Stuff. I was immediately attracted to that title. Um, so, uh, but there, there was all kinds of things in there I did not expect. Uh, because uh, in addition to all the waste that we have in our society, in addition to all the recycling that we do, uh, th- this article went on to talk about all the stuff that then ends up in thrift stores like Goodwill. Now, what, what I was amazed at is, yes, of course, these thrift stores have to sort through all the stuff they get, and much of what they are donated to ends up in the, the incinerator, uh, as it is. But of all the stuff that makes it to the shelves in a thrift store, two-thirds of that goes in a landfill. So all that stuff, that, that's the final stop, the thrift store. Two-thirds of it in a landfill. And the article went on to talk about why, and there were some issues like, the, well, the quality of stuff that is made in our world, the quality is declining, doesn't last, and people who rent storage units, and more and more storage units are being rented, and they put stuff in there, and by the time it comes out of storage, it's of no value, uh, and uh, simply ends up in a dumpster or an incinerator anyway. Uh, and the article said, there is no green heaven. Everything wears out eventually, everything gets tossed out, that's the fate of stuff. Now, in your Christmas shopping, Remember, there is no present you can get and there's no present you can give that will increase your level of gratitude. There is one gift 
that does that. The, the one that Second uh, Corinthians calls the indescribable gift that God has given to us in Christ. And so uh, my, my point in, in that article is gratitude will not come from more acquisitions. Gratitude comes from more awareness of God's presence and goodness. Now the old uh, Latin word bene, which means good, should guide our gratitude. Uh, as one writer puts it, gratitude always involves three benes. Here, here they are. Uh, the first one is benefit. Uh, in order for me to be grateful, I have to receive a gift. I must perceive that it's a good thing for me to receive. As Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things. So our lives are filled with the benefits of God. And we're blind to them most of the time. Gratitude requires that we recognize them and know that they are good. The second bene is benefactor. Benefactor. Uh, that factor related to our word for factory. So benefactor means one who does good or one who produces good. So to be grateful, you must believe that benefits don't just come at random by accident. They come from somebody. And you must believe this benefactor has good intentions towards you. If I'm to be a grateful person, I must believe that about God. As James 1.17 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So a good God exists, and He's the benefactor who's always giving to us. And then the third element that contributes is beneficiary. Uh, there has to be a beneficiary, one who receives the good. That's you. You're the beneficiary of all the benefits of a God who has your best interests at heart. And so for there to be gratitude, beneficiaries must believe they are receiving something they did not earn, they did not merit, they did not deserve. As Ephesians 1 declares, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ. Now most of you are here this morning because you see the benefits and you know that God is the benefactor, and you believe that you are the beneficiary through Jesus. But here's the reality. You might not feel very grateful right now. Uh, let me tell you, in, in the amount of counseling and praying I've done with people in the last two, three weeks, I've, there's lots of things going on in our lives that would cause us to not be overflowing in thanksgiving. And because there's so many things that can be happening. So here's what I want you to remember. Here's the principle. Very simple. Here's what I want you to remember from this text. Wear gratitude until it fits. Wear it till it fits. In the sense that, well, you know, that I don't like that saying, fake it till you make it. I don't like that. But, but let me tell you where this is going. I, I, was, I was reflecting with somebody a week or two ago how um, once uh, a basketball team I, I, I played on had a uh, Christmas tournament, right about this time of year, an away tournament, and I got the, the printed program, and I was listed in the program as six foot four. Now, I've, I've never been six four. I don't think I'm ever going to be six four. Now, in, in my defense, that was in the 70s, and I wore platform shoes a lot, and so in the platform shoes, I was maybe six four, six five. But I'm only six two. I, I don't know why the coach did that. But let me tell you, when I walked out on the court in that tournament, it was like I was on my tiptoes. And I said, I got to play like I'm 6'4. 
I, I got to give it my best. I did. I had 11 rebounds the first game, two blocked shots, got injured, was out the rest of the tournament. But uh, played bigger. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote how a good kind of pretending can lead us to the real thing. In his classic book, Mere Christianity, he said, you know, we're called to be like Jesus, and, and, and yet you're not the perfect son of God. In fact, you're a bundle of self-centered centered fears and hopes and greeds and, and jealousies and conceit. So what's the good of pretending what you're not? He said, well, well there's, there, there is a good kind of pretending. He said, for example, when you're not feeling particularly friendly, but you know you ought to be, the very best thing you can do, quite often, he says, is to put on a friendly manner and behave as if you were a nicer person than you actually are. And in a few moments, as we've all noticed, you'll be feeling really friendlier than you were. He said this, very often the only way to get a quality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. Remember, this is not about salvation. This is about putting on the, the newness of Christ. And so for, the call for us is to, to go out and act grateful, to, to respond gratefully, to, to do things and say things that express thanks to God, even if you don't feel like it. Wear gratitude till it fits. Comedian Johnny Carson used to joke that uh, Thanksgiving is an emotional holiday. That people travel thousands of miles to be with people they only see once a year and then discover once a year is way too often. That's not my experience, probably not yours either. But the reality is there's all kinds of stuff that goes on in our lives that wants to rob us of, of that desire to give thanks and to, to focus on the, those negative things and, and, and not respond with thanksgiving as we're called to in Jesus' name. You're going to have daily opportunities not to feel thankful. There are many reasons to feel more grumpy than grateful. But God has given us reasons far beyond that. As God's chosen people, wear gratitude until it fits. In every decision you make, every word you hear, every song you sing, every prayer you pray, in everything you do, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Have the opportunity to gather around these tables and to reflect on the greatest reason we have for thanksgiving. There are four tables here at the front and two at the back that hold the elements of communion. And in a moment, I will uh, invite you, as you feel led to do so, to go to a table near you. And as the, uh, uh, the deacons take their places around these tables, they'll offer you the opportunity to tear off a piece of bread uh, representing the body of Christ given for us. And to dip that then in the juice, the cup, representing his blood spilled that we might have life. And then as you reflect on the sacrifice of Christ, the body and blood represented here at this table, you eat and just that in memory of him and give thanks to God. As you, in these moments, prepare to go to these tables, then use that time, if you haven't already, to confess. To confess your need of Him. To confess maybe a lack of gratitude. And to remember. Remember what God the Father has done for us in sending His perfect Son into this world that we might have life.
Thanks be to God, whose love endures forever. Let me pray. Lord, we are to be a grateful people because you have done everything for us. So in these moments, as we take of this bread and this cup, may we do so with hearts overflowing with gratitude for what you have accomplished. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.